Welcome to 15 Minutes to Wellness by the American Council on Exercise. I'm Dr. Michael Mantell, the ACE Senior Fitness Consultant for Behavioral Sciences and your host for this series. My goal today and for every podcast in our series is to discuss some small steps you can take to help you better your life and find happiness through optimal health. In each of these podcasts, I'll be interviewing a leading health and fitness expert, someone who's making a difference and who can make a difference in your life. I also want to welcome the hundreds of thousands of folks searching for positive ways to make fitness and nutrition a part of their daily, hectic, busy, tight, and budgeted lives. Delighted to welcome you to part two of my interview with Dr. Claudia Kawas. Dr. Kawas is a professor of neurology at the School of Medicine at University of California at Irvine and a professor of neurobiology and behavior at the School of Biological Sciences. Uh, she has an MD from the University of Louisville, Kentucky, and has been talking with us about her 90 plus study, which was featured recently on 60 Minutes with Leslie Stahl. I'm Dr. Michael Mantell, the Senior Fitness Consultant for Behavior Sciences for the American Council on Exercise. And in part two, Dr. Kawas and I are going to look at the research uh, that she's been doing, which is really at the forefront of demonstrating how exercise promotes brain health, improves brain function, and can reverse memory deficits, at least so far in mice with Alzheimer's disease. It turns out that exercise increases the production of a key brain nutrient called brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which becomes reduced in the brains of people with Alzheimer's disease. We'll summarize the findings that Dr. Kawas has uh, described, and uh, some of it is going to be very shocking for you. So with that, let's get back into the discussion. You had $6 million of funding from the National Institute of Health uh, to help you get this going. Um, uh, where is the study in its process right now? Well, actually, at this point, the National Institute on Aging has committed about uh, $25 million over the last decade to this study, and most recently that was in part to allow us to continue for an additional five years. So this is going to go on for five more years, and we'll probably be very interested in as this as this continues, uh, what you're finding. Um, aging brings with it a variety of what people think are inevitable ills: dementia, Alzheimer's, um, walking, you know, bent over, uh, you know, lack of romance, lack of friends. You've got some findings to tell us it's not quite that bad. Well, and we can work to make it better. Okay, so tell us about what it is you're finding in, in, this, in, the, in this group. Well, there's, there's a lot of variety and variability in aging, but we have found some amazing people, and a lot of them, actually. Um, one of our participants celebrated her 100th birthday on the Jay Leno show, by getting on a three-meter diving board and diving off complete with underwater cameras. And um, she was a good example of how exercise uh, helped her in, in many ways. Um, we have individuals who do a lot of dancing and uh, have 
all sorts of romance. We have uh, individuals who are too busy to come into our clinic to, to get their work done, and so we try to fit it in around their schedule because they're off doing so many things. Activities matter, both exercise and non-exercise activities were both associated actually with increased longevity. And I think that's because in addition to exercise, um, socialization and interacting with other people and doing, um, uh, having a reason to get up in the morning keeps a lot of people going much, much more healthy and stronger than they would. You're looking at a diet, you're looking at their activities, uh, medical history, the medications they take, you do um, a, a neuropsychological evaluation, neurological examinations frequently. Uh, could, it, could it be possible that a group could be better studied? I mean, the, the, in a sense, they're living under your microscope. <laughs> well, we're, we're trying to get as much from them as possible because they have a lot of secrets to share with us, I think. Um, and yes, we exhaust them with all the things that we ask them to do. Over the next five years, we're going to be doing a lot of brain imaging and other kinds of, of tests to try to better understand what's going on in their brains while they're alive. Um, and how we can help facilitate that for people who aren't doing as well as they are. So let's get into it. You, you have some remarkable findings, but w so what is it that makes people live to age 90 and beyond? What, what, tell us about their lifestyles. One of the things the American Council on Exercise pr promotes, in addition to obviously fitness training, is health coaching, working with physicians, uh, fitness centers, health centers, hospitals, as an extension of the physician to help the physician have greater impact in creating optimal health. And I, this is such a remarkably important group for health coaches to pay attention to. So I want them to hear what you have found makes people live to age 90 and beyond. Well, this is what the participants revealed to us. So we went and we looked at the health habits of individuals in 1981 who lived longer and compared them to the health habits of people who didn't live as long. And you're right, we had some surprising findings and some not surprising findings. Exercise, as I said, was associated with longer life, and that wasn't terribly surprising. Non-exercise activities were also associated with longer life, and that never leveled off. So every hour, uh, additional hour that individuals spent doing things, particularly things that had some kind of cognitive activity or some kind of socializing activity or some kind of interesting activity to them, um, they lived longer than individuals who, who didn't do those things and stayed home and mostly watched uh, TV. Um, we found that... Um, I was just going to say, so non-exercise activity... We, we call it NEAT, non-exercise activity thermogenesis, just moving around, walking from one place to another with friends. It doesn't have to be going to the gym like you, like you mentioned earlier. It could be 10 minutes here and 10 minutes there. That's made a difference. That has definitely made a difference. Well, we were very interested in their... Um, diet and, and supplements, um, we knew whether or not individuals were taking vitamin E supplements uh, 30 years before. So many people thought that might be associated with longevity, and in fact it wasn't. 
So wait, wait, wait. Vitamin E is on the shelf of every major store in America, and it's in the uh, cupboards of so many people. I'm taking my vitamin E for energy or my vitamin E for uh, sex or my vitamin E to get me going. You're saying it doesn't. Well, in, in our study, people who took vitamin E did not live any longer than people who didn't take vitamin E. Now, that's different from saying that vitamin E might not be doing something else good for them. I don't know about that. But I, I, I think that in general, most of the supplements that we take really have modest, if any, evidence to suggest that they do quite as much as we're told they do. I think that a good diet probably matters a lot more than the pills we choose to buy um, in the drugstore. Tell us about good diet. What, what kind of food did these folks, do these folks eat? Well, I, I think um, our dietary information was very, very limited. Um, but in general, what I think we can say is that individuals who had diets that were more or less what, what's often referred to as Mediterranean, so high in fruits and vegetables, modest in meat and dairy, um, a regular source of, of seafood, you know, fish and, and uh, other seafoods, um, and modest intakes of both caffeine and uh, maybe some people's favorites, uh, alcohol. All those things were associated you know, with living longer. People who had a caffeine intake that was equivalent to one to three cups of coffee a day lived longer than individuals who did not have any caffeine or those who had much more than that. Let me, let me clarify this. So does that mean that if uh, you are 50, 60 years old, this is a good time to start drinking a couple or three cups of coffee a day? Or are you saying that this is something that they started doing later in life or earlier in life? Where does that slide go? So um, in, in our study, we can't completely answer that because we don't always know when people started or stopped these things. So um, I think the first thing I would say is I'm not recommending if you don't already do um, caffeine or in particular alcohol, I'm not recommending and I don't think there's any evidence to say that starting now would be a great thing for you. But what we did find um, is that very high intakes of caffeine um, was, was associated with shorter lifetime than people who had modest intakes of caffeine. And it turns out they did better also than people who had no intake of caffeine. Now, the caffeine can come from a lot of sources, I want to remind you. So even though it's the equivalent of, of a couple of cups of coffee a day, we put everything into the analysis. So we included caffeine from tea. We included caffeine from chocolate and colas. Um, and the bottom line is that a lot of caffeine is not good. No caffeine isn't particularly good either, though. Um, a modest intake was associated with living longer. Although I, I have to tell you, we don't really know why that may be. Um, so do you drink coffee every day? I absolutely do, and I have since I was about 20. And I won't tell you how old I am now, but it's a lot of decades. <laughs> oh, you look like you're... I'm, I saw you on TV. You look like you're in your 30s. So, <laughs> well, okay, so now you have another finding that you just slipped over real quickly, and I want to highlight that because that's a surprise, that moderate amounts of alcohol 
help people live longer as well. Bree's giving thumbs up here. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of a lot of people like that one. <laughs> Emphasis is always again on moderate. And you know, this has actually been found in, in many studies besides our own. Some people call it the the French effect or the Bordeaux effect. A lot of people particularly think that red wine um, is associated with living longer. In our study, it didn't really matter what alcohol you were drinking, although most of it was wine. But whether red or white didn't seem to matter, or if it was a martini, it didn't seem to matter. But individuals who had modest alcohol intake lived longer, once again, than people who had no alcohol intake um, ever, or people who you certainly want to keep it to modest. Modest could be anywhere, by the way, from um, one to two glasses of wine a week to a maximum of two a day. Huh. Okay, well, I'm sure that some people are just turned their, uh, their, their radios up a little louder. <laughs> okay, this woman knows what she's talking about. You have another surprising finding, and that is that uh, regarding weight about people in their 70s living longer than normal or uh, I'm sorry overweight people in their 70s lived longer than normal or underweight people did uh, I know that's my favorite one <laughs> I was in the gym this morning and I was looking at some of the folks probably in their 80s and they're really really thin bony and I, I, I'm not sure whether they have heard your study yet, but I wanted to go say, let's go out and have some cake. Yeah, well, um, you know, we're not the only people to find this. I think one of the important things to emphasize here is that age matters. So being obese at any age is bad. Um, being overweight when you're young is bad. It definitely is associated with shorter life. But essentially, gaining weight to the tune of 5 or um, absolute maximum of 10 pounds per decade after the age of 70 actually is associated with living longer. People who maintain or gain weight live much longer than people who lose weight. And underweight people actually have the highest death rates once you get to be 80 and 90 and 100. So we ought to be thinking about maintaining healthy weight until we're in our 70s. Absolutely. And then a little bit of extra weight can actually be healthy in creating longevity. Most people will tell you that as they age, their body is trying very hard to gain that little bit of extra weight. Um, we often view it as our enemy, but I think that after a certain age, it, it actually becomes... Um, our friend and is a protective thing and and um, probably gives us some cushing and resilience to illness and and other things that we need when we age. You also study the epidemiology of dementia in this oldest old, the 90 plus group. And we know that um, the risk of developing dementia doubles about every five years starting at the age of uh, 65. Uh oh. <laughs> um, tell us about your findings there. You looked at folks who suffered dementia. Uh, what have you found? Well, I think the, the first thing we found, and we were sorry to find it, is that that risk does continue to double even after age 95, after age 100, after age 105. 
So by the time an individual is 100 years of age, their risk of developing dementia is about 40% per year. So it's unfortunately high that we can, and, and one of the biggest problems of aging we have. But nonetheless, there are many people, including the woman who lived to be 122, who appeared to die without dementia. And what we want is a world in which many more of us, if not all of us, die without dementia. So we were interested in what causes dementia in this age group. And one of our bigger surprises, I think, was that half the time when patients in this age group have dementia that most doctors would think is Alzheimer's disease, it turns out that their brain doesn't appear to have Alzheimer's pathology, at least not enough to explain their problems. And so we're trying to find some of the other things that might contribute to dementia in this age group. And they're things that we see very rarely in younger people, but are quite frequently uh, found in people in their 90s and 100. And so the other interesting thing that, that I saw in your uh, presentation on 60 Minutes and I've read in, the, in your research is that half the people with dementia over the age of 90 did not have sufficient neuropathology in their brain to explain cognitive loss. And you had people who had dementia with neuropathology, and then you had people who had the neuropathology but didn't show signs of uh, the, um, the difficulties often associated with dementia. Can you explain that a bit? Well, I think it's um, probably the main thing I'd like to explain with some of our research in the next five years. But um, what we found is exactly as you said. Half of the people with dementia, the pathologist said, oh, I think this is normal elderly brain. And half of the normal elderly individuals, the pathologist said, oh, there's enough, al there's Alzheimer's disease here. So we found a, a striking discordance between what we found in their brain and what, what they were doing. I think that the individuals who the pathologist is calling normal brain now, they've got other pathologies and we just need to learn about them and how to identify them and hopefully how to prevent them. The individuals who have Alzheimer's disease in their brain but are still normal, I think we've got several things going on here. Some of them maybe in the preclinical stages of the disease, but some of them may have genetic or other uh, lifestyle things that have prevented them from getting clinical dementia, and we need to find out their secrets so we can share those with all of us too. So there are things that people can do to, uh, to modify risk factors for dementia? Well, it depends what's causing the dementia, and that's actually a major focus of our research. So. We're looking for things that could potentially prevent Alzheimer's dementia, but we also believe that much of the dementia is caused by microscopic infarctions or vascular disease, and we're looking at those risk factors because it may be that some of the traditional risk factors that we, we look at um, aren't appropriate for this age group. Um, one of the more interesting things we found that we're trying to untangle right now is that if, if you have normal blood pressure in the 90-plus study and we follow you over the next few years, you are at higher risk of developing dementia than the individuals who have high blood pressure in, in their 90s. So high blood pressure appears to be protective for certain parts of dementia and we want to find out why, because then maybe we can help other people 
have the appropriate blood pressure for whatever their needs might be. Do you think that um, these mental exercise games, uh, the cognitive training, uh, the apps that are out there, doing the crossword puzzles, those sorts of things are valuable? Well, what I really think is that using your brain is valuable. And if you want to use them in some of those ways, I think that's fine. But learning new things, whether it's a crossword puzzle, a language, or um, a new exercise routine, learning new things is good for the brain. And learning how to do a, one kind of puzzle in one month and a different kind of puzzle the next month and a different kind of puzzle the third month is probably more valuable than learning how to do the same crossword puzzle for 50 years. Um, but using your brain however you use it is, is important, I think. So this study has just gotten funding again, another five-year round of funding. Um, we're going to be look, you're going to be looking into uh, deeper risk factors, uh, spe- specifically with regards to dementia. Um, and uh, at the same time, what you've learned already from following these folks from, the, from 1981, I think it was, through now, is, uh, it, is so um, impactful. You, let me just summarize what I've heard you say. Uh, number one, people drink moderate amounts of alcohol and coffee. You'll live longer than those who don't. And that, that's anywhere from a drink or two uh, a week to a drink or two a day, a couple of cups of coffee. Moderate, right? Correct. Okay. And that people who are overweight in their 70s, uh, not younger, but in their 70s, seem to have some additional protection from uh, uh, the, 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 the additional weight, right? Yes, and the effect gets stronger in your 80s and even stronger in your 90s. So uh, if you have parents who are in their 80s, and uh, 90s, and they want that extra cupcake, let them have it. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) I think if you have parents who've made it to their 80s and 90s, there's a good chance that extra cupcake is a good idea for them. Right, but that doesn't mean that you in your 40s ought to be having it with them. (laughs) Exactly. And you're also saying maybe it's not the cupcake because it's still healthy eating the mediterranean diet you're talking about not junk food and that's an important distinction it's not like hey i'm in my 80s i can eat whatever i want you're i think you said earlier that the healthy eating is a, is a critical factor i think it is so the cupcake is fine if it's on top of the vegetables and the other healthy diet the cupcake's not fine if it's all you're eating Uh, And then we also know that 40% of people aged 90 and older are suffering from dementia, although half of people with dementia over 90 don't have sufficient uh, neuropathology in their brains to necessarily explain cognitive loss. And that's what you're investigating. I think that uh, this has been a remarkable study, Dr. Kawas, and I think that we all owe you... uh, uh, life because you're helping us live it uh, through diet, attitude, renewal, exercise, um, friendship, socialization, and we'll put the icing on the cupcake and that's romance and even a little bit of sex depending on how you define it in your 90s, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Okay. Dr. Kawas, I want to thank you so much for being with us in these two segments of 15 minutes to wellness. I know that all of our ACE certified fitness trainers and ACE health coaches 
and uh, the general population who's been listening uh, has learned a great deal about your study, which began back in 1981 looking at 14 or 15,000 people um, and understanding what makes people live to age 90 and beyond. The study is being funded for five more years as you look into dementia and some of the specifics related to that. And again, thank you very much. And I hope that we'll stay connected and continue to follow your uh, research and uh, look at the data that you have been cultivating. We also promise to help you get back into some exercise. Thanks very, very much. I'd like to thank all of you listeners who've joined us today. And as always, I encourage you all to subscribe to the podcast and continue your journey to health and fitness by visiting acefit.com, where you'll find everything you need to live your most fit and healthy life. You can explore literally thousands of healthy recipes, health and fitness videos and articles, workout plans, health programs, and creative ways you can get yourself and your family moving, and really expert insight on a wide range of topics. So join me next time on 15 Minutes to Wellness, which you can find at acefit.com slash fitcasts. I'm Dr. Michael Mantell, thanking you for being with us on 15 Minutes to Wellness. Music